Good evening. So uh, it's so good to be here. I love uh, coming to this church. Uh, I love coming for uh, a number of reasons. One is I just love your worship. I love James. He's a really good mate of mine. But one of the special things about this church is on the uh, 16th of February, 11 years ago, I had my wedding reception in this very building, in this room here. So it always brings a little bit of a special memory to me. Uh, it's not that special that my wife came out tonight. She stayed at home, but you know, nevertheless. I, um, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about what we've been up to at Message Wales uh, since the last time I was here before I introduced uh, Andy to you. you will, uh, some of you will know that we do a termly youth event called Lift. We had one on um, Friday night, more than 300 young people uh, gathered to uh, hear some of our bands, to uh, hear the gospel being preached. We saw many young people respond to the gospel for the first time and many recommit their lives to Jesus and take it seriously and want to get missional. And that was really exciting. We have um, this uh, Eden bus that uh, many of you will have heard about, which is our double-decker high-tech youth centre that travels all over South Wales. And everywhere we go, it's a magnet for young people who who come out of their houses to play the latest video games and watch a 3D TV and go in our little recording studio. And then we preach the gospel and we're seeing tons of young people accepting Jesus for the first time. Since the last time I was here, one of the really exciting things we did is uh, we appointed a full-time worker into Park Prison. Park Prison is the biggest uh, prison in Western Europe. It's got the largest youth offenders institution in the UK, and I went to meet with the governor, and I said, we'd like to put a full-time worker in here. And they said, what will they do? And I said, they'll tell people about Jesus, and then they'll disciple them. And she looked at me like a bit weird, and I said, but what we know is, they'll start to behave well, and when they go out of prison, they won't come back, because that's our track record. You see, at the moment, I think if you were to, to go in prison, and the likelihood is that within two years, um, you would reoffend. 84% of people reoffend within two years. If you come on, if you meet with our people in prison and we connect you with a mentor and we uh, put you back into a faith community, the chances of you reoffending are about 4%. So just look at how many billions of pounds the message is saving because we've got prisons workers in Manchester and now in South Wales. It makes a huge difference because our heart really is to reach the hardest to reach uh, young people. We we're in high schools each and every week. We've now got three Eden teams and our Eden teams are where we encourage people to kind of, I, I guess you would say, go downwardly mobile, move into the toughest uh, communities and to do life there, to do youth ministry there, to set up kids clubs, to be part of food banks and whatever the local church expression is to reach those people. We've got an Eden team in, um, in, um, in Tremorva in East Cardiff. We've got another one in Redevelling and uh, this week Andy and I we're delighted to receive a telephone call from a, a major donor who's actually pledged to fund a new Eden team. And that Eden team is actually going to be in Trowbridge. And uh, we've already got people who want to join that team. But I had a word with James before. And he said to me, I could encourage any of you who want to be involved in incarnational ministry to come and talk to us at our stand and to think, ask God, is that something that uh, you could do. We'd love to 
uh, talk to you about being on that team. Any time in the last 22 years, I think, if I'd have been invited to speak in a church, I would have told you about a promise that I've, I believe that God has given me, uh, which is that, uh, that I will see the greatest move of God amongst young people that this nation has ever seen. I believe that that's a deposit that God has put in my heart and it's the thing that's got me up every day for the last 20 odd years to be involved in youth ministry. And um, I'm excited. I'm excited that um, just before Christmas, we did a, uh, a mission um, called the Higher Tour. Uh, and we, kept, we went all across South Wales and we were in a bunch of schools. We made a little film I want to just share with you and then I want to tell you what happened in those three weeks. So just check this out. Pretty cool, eh? So, over the course of three weeks, um, six of our bands went into 36 high schools, and we were able to tell more than 17,000 young people that Jesus loves them and that they've got a hope and He's got a plan for their lives. And uh, we invited them to gigs at the end of the week, and we know that. Um, at least 1,068 young people responded to the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? And um, we set up 56 follow-up groups to actually uh, journey with those uh, young people. And, um, and so the final gig in Cardiff with over a thousand young people um, uh, coming to, it was on the Friday night and I was in my church in, um, in, in a village in the Vale of Glamorgan and we were praying and one of the guys in my church says, and he's praying and he says, God 
Gary has been saying that this generation will see the greatest move of God this nation's ever seen. And now he's seen it. And I was like, mm, mm, like I don't want to, like, oh, you know, it's such a lovely prayer. And, and I was, so I didn't say anything. I had enough grace about me not to say anything. But uh, I, I thought, God, how do I respond to that? And I'd got a, um, uh, my preach lined up and I felt God say, don't preach that message, which is always horrible. Do you know? It's just, oh. And so, um, and I just genuinely felt led uh, to the scripture in 1 Kings 18 where um, Elijah sends out his servant to go and to see if he can see there's any sign of rain. He's already prophetically told Ahab that the rain's coming and it's going to be torrential and you need to get back to town because it's going to be crazy. And of course, there is no rain. There hasn't been rain for years. And he keeps sending his servant to the top of the hill and nothing. And then after he's gone for the seventh time, his servant comes back and says, there's a cloud the size of of a man's hand. And I was like, that's it. That's it. That's what's happened. Is actually there is going to be a downpour. There is going to be a torrential rain. There is going to be a deluge. And what we've seen is a deposit. It's, this, it's a cloud the size of a man's hand. But you know what? That cloud was far away. It looked small but it was actually massive. And I genuinely believe that that is where we are in Wales at the moment, that God is about to release a deluge. And, and it's not Message Wales that's going to do it. It's not just Vineyard Church who's going to do it. It's going to bring glory to Jesus and we're all going to get soaked in it. It's going to be great, isn't it? You got faith for that? I've got faith for that. And I'm delighted that my boss, who's here tonight, has got faith for it as well. Please welcome Andy Hawthorne. Cheers, Gary. All right, evening, everybody. Um, I, I actually want to show you one more video from... Uh, I saw this, and I was actually really, really touched by it. Um, a local church youth pastor just sharing his reflections on the higher tour, and, you know, like six weeks after or whatever, how long ago was it? No, way more... November, a long time, though, three months after. And uh, I was just, I saw this video a couple of weeks ago. I was like, yes. And uh, because it is amazing that that much like gospel seeds have been sown into schools. You know, don't knock it. It's brilliant. And, and it's so important that we keep going back to people who don't know Jesus and keep sowing the gospel because it takes on average seven times for people to hear the good news in language they can understand before they respond on average. Clearly some people hear it first time, bingo, they're in, full on for Jesus. But we have to go and keep on going. And it's amazing that we saw so many young people respond and we love decisions for Christ. But what we really want to see is disciples. It's only disciples that are going to change uh, Cardiff. We're only going to see this major move of God amongst young people that Gary's believing for and believe God's spoken into existence. It's only disciples multiplying disciples. So uh, we, somebody made this little video at the message after interviewing a guy called Ashley, uh, a youth pastor in South Wales. So just watch this film and tell me this isn't good. And if this is all we had to show. All right.
And so it's just incredible seeing these kids for the first time just asking important questions and starting journeying with their faith. What's really exciting about um, the Cyberlink people is that whole journey of faith. And with the, the kids that we work with, we've seen those kids actually make decisions and seen them develop in their faith. Um, it's just amazing. Isn't that good? It's brilliant. It's what we live for. To see, yeah, we want decisions, but we long for disciples. We long for youth pastors to say, there's loads of kids now join my church. And they're, they're growing in God and they're inviting their friends. And that is starting to happen. Uh, we started with the, the message trust was actually called 25 years ago, message to schools. It was me and a mate and a band called the Worldwide Message Tribe going into schools. And I love it that, you know, I'm not doing that anymore. But last year we visited 268 schools and we saw over 113,000 young people face to face and shared the good news of Jesus through the message trust. Are you excited that's happening? And it's all in partnership with local church. We live or die by the local church. Uh, by, we work in partnership with local church and also local Christians. And please, guys, this is an amazing season for the message. You know, we've now got 60 Eden teens who've planted. Over 700 people have moved to live in our most deprived communities. We're growing all over the world. We've got hubs all over the UK. Uh, but you can imagine we are fully, fully stretched and and. We're seeing some of Satan's generals take it out, if you like. We really are seeing, you know, people who are some of the worst drug dealers and criminals you could imagine now become the answer, become amazing evangelists and role models in the community. But we are poking Satan in his eye doing that. And we need all your prayers. And we'd love it if before the end of the, before you leave this evening, if you would go and visit our stand and just sign up for our regular prayer letter and commit to pray for the message. Trust as the work grows. And it's growing fast here in Wales as well, as Gary explained. Some of you may be able to do even something else. You may be able to support us financially. Regular financial giving is the lifeblood of something like the message. And thousands of people do that. But we've got a vision to see 2,000 new people sign up for regular financial giving this year. And if you're able to do that, we'd love to give you one of these fantastic message partner packs. You can get a lovely bag like that with see I'm doing a new thing on it. But in here is a load of resources the message has produced. And we produce these resources to kind of encourage Christians to be better at living for Jesus and especially encourage them to be better at reaching out to the last and the least and the lost. And if you sign up to be a partner, you get all this stuff. You get this book, Be In The Message. We wrote a book about, uh, you know, the vision and values of the message. Is there anything we've done? We've grown from a one-man band 25 years ago to this global movement and seen millions of people touched. Uh, is there anything? I think there is. We're not the smartest people, but we have done some stuff. And there's a chapter about keeping mission hot and keeping prayer hot and not taking yourself too seriously and having faith for finances and loving the poor and all the stuff that gets God's attention, I think. It's not the smartest, sexiest people who do, you know, do the best work for Jesus. It's just the people with the right heart. And so we wrote this book and, and I'm pretty pleased with it. I did a couple of chapters. Gary did some, a chapter. A bunch of our other leaders did it. And it's called Being the Message. You'll also get this precious book, which is a beautiful, beautiful 20 years of Eden. These 700 people who've chosen to be downwardly mobile, as Gary said, and live in communities like Trowbridge, just because they love Jesus and love the poor and the broken. And everywhere these Eden teams are being planted, we're seeing transformation come and, and church grow. And that's the, the, the book called Unfinished, The Story of Eden. And you'll get my latest book, 
released last week uh, called Here I Am. And uh, released all over the world, actually. And it's a book for individuals, but it's also a book for groups. There's a chance to wrestle with. Looking at Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah the prophet had this amazing encounter with Jesus. And he realised how utterly sinful he was. And uh, he had no chance of serving God on his own, but he was restored and forgiven. And then he presented his life and said, here I am, God, whatever, wherever. It's a journey that every Christian needs to go on. And if every Christian went on that journey, had a massive encounter with Jesus, had a sense of their own unworthiness, but then a sense of God's great grace, and then went out on the back of that, it would change Cardiff, honestly. If everyone in this place was on that journey. So there's a a book and there's also a DVD with a bunch of films we've made to help small groups wrestle with that stuff. You get that as well. And you get this, or you get a CD from one of our bands, (laughs) <laughs> and you get, oh, well, this pack, yes, it does. You get this, which is actually the most precious thing in this pack. Over 100 talks from people in the last 10 years who've passed through the message. We've just added a whole bunch from the last year. Some of, you know, we literally have. We're so blessed now as the ministry's grown. and People want to come and share with our team. People like Danielle Strickland and Louis Palau and George Verver and Tony Campolo, amazing communicators, just sharing the heart for mission. There's also a bunch of videos that will encourage you and help you. It's all on a pen drive. And we share all that with you because we want to get this partnership thing. We don't just want to be like, give us your money. It wants to be, because regular giving, but we want to fuel you and encourage you and bless you through that. So if you'd like to do that, any amount, or if you'd already support the message, if you could increase by any amount, we just give you all those resources to bless you. And if you like, listen, I'm a skint student. I really, really can't regular support. Well, just write to me or Gary and we'll, we'll send you anything for free anyway. Can't be fairer than that, can I? All right, so but please, whatever you do, do visit the message stand. Have a chat with Lucy and Autumn Louise from the message Wales who'll be there. Um, okay, should we get in the Bible together? I love the fact that this church wants to give you a Bible if you're new. You know the Bible is the greatest gift. Uh, our Queen's coronation, like decades and decades ago, they gave Queen Elizabeth a Bible, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Actually, he knelt down at the coronation and he said, Your Majesty, here it is, the most precious thing this life affords, the lively oracles of God. Wow. And that's the best of our nation. The best of everything we're about is built on that, on this precious book, that this book is the living word of God. It's the most precious thing in the world. And I believe Queen Elizabeth actually believes it. You know, more precious than all her Bentleys and racehorses and country estates and, you know, her fabulous diamond collection and all that. More precious than that is this book. And when I was preparing this talk, I just thought the Bible is amazing. I'm going to speak on a passage that I've never spoken on before. Well, I've spoken it once before because I've done this talk once before. But before that, I've never spoken about the life of Joseph. I mean, I've been a Christian 40 years before most people in this building were born. I gave my life to Jesus. And I started preaching like weeks after I became a Christian. And I must have preached thousands of times. I've never preached on the life of Joseph, but I'm going to tonight. And uh, James is excited. And if you've got a Bible or just on your phone, you can turn to or pop up Genesis chapter 39. And if you want a title for this talk, it's Hope When Life is the Pits. 
Uh, many of you will know a little bit about the story of Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. You'll know the story of this young man, the, the, the youngest son in the family. Anybody the youngest in the family? Anybody here? They are. I am. I'm the youngest. And Joseph was one of these youngest brothers who was a bit bullied by his other brothers. Same as me. I remember when, uh, I can remember still, and it's hard to tell this story because it, it's wounding. I remember my older brothers, I had two older brothers, Simon and Michael. And when I was about six years old, I would come home from school and Simon and Michael would be waiting for me there at the door. And they'd be saying, you're not coming in. And I'd go, but I live here. And they would go, you don't live here, Jimmy Stevens. Your name's Jimmy Stevens. This is the Hawthorne household. I go, I'm not Jimmy Stevens. I'm Andy Hawthorne. And they go, Jimmy Stevens, go home. Go to the Stevens household. And even now, the name Jimmy Stevens. And I'd be crying, I'm not called Jimmy Stevens. And my mum would be like, stop that Jimmy Stevens business again, you two. It's Jimmy Stevens. But I know a little bit what it's like to be bullied by your older brother, but nothing like Joseph. I was never hated as much as Joseph because Joseph was this little annoying golden boy. His father's favourite. You know, fathers really shouldn't have favourites like Joseph. But Jacob did. He had his favourite boy. And in Genesis chapter 37, it tells the story of the 11 brothers. He had 11 brothers. They were out grafting in the fields. Joseph was at home with his dad because he was the special one. In his stupid technical dream coat, his dad had given him this coat of many colours to bless him, but it certainly didn't bless his brothers. It really annoyed him. And sat in his comfort while his brothers are out there in the fields, he has a couple of dreams. Actually, dreams from God, dreams from heaven. And yet, the way, the way he shared those dreams revealed what a twerp he was at this point in his life, to be honest. Now, many of you are what's called millennials. Millennials means you're sort of born between, you were, I guess you're like, you came of age around the millennium. So you're probably like 21 to 37. How many people would be in that kind of age range? Everybody. The entire church. And you're an amazing generation. And you are an amazingly creative generation with leadership all over you and all the potential in the world. But you can be a really annoying generation as well. At your best, you're incredible and your world changes. But at your worst, you've lived too much with entitlement and consumer culture. And so you become twerps who expect everything on a plate. And you don't know how to communicate your dreams. You've got all these dreams, but you communicate them in a slightly arrogant, annoying way. And you, you're also the kind of people who could jump from church to church. You expect everything to be perfect, you see. And if church isn't perfect, oh, I'm going to go somewhere else. The leaders annoyed me. Or my small group isn't absolutely perfect and full of Holy Spirit fire every week. So I'm going somewhere else. Or, or you get a job and you can't settle with a job because you're not chief executive within a couple of years. So you jump from job to job like no other generation. And your relationships, you know, you like hate committing. And you don't, you're not really going out with this person, although you are snogging and doing everything else that people do. You know, you're not really in a relationship because there might be a better one that comes along and you certainly hate to commit. So you jump, jump, jump because you live with entitlement, consumer culture, and it can really mess with your head if you're not careful. Now, Joseph wasn't 
21 to 37. He was 17, but he showed all the hallmarks of entitlement culture in that he didn't know how to share his dreams. He had these two dreams, God-given dreams, and yet he didn't know how to share them. And in Genesis 37, it tells us a spectacular way of how not to share your dreams. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to rule over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moons and 11 stars were bowing down to it. When he told it to his father, oh, come on, Joseph. His, brother, uh, his brothers and his fathers rebuked to him. What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before him? So he had God-given dreams, but he didn't have the wisdom to know how to share the dream. Knowing when and how to share the dream and who to share it with that God's put in your heart is absolutely key to your success. And from this moment, when he splurted it out, his brothers hated him so much they were out to kill him. And in Genesis 37 verse 19, it tells us this. Here comes that dreamer, they said, once they saw Joseph coming across the field, sent by his dad to check out on him. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into this cistern and say, a ferocious animal's devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dream. And that's exactly what happened. Joseph came across the, the fields, they grabbed him, they took his stupid coat off him and threw him into a water cistern that was dry in the barren desert. And Reuben, the oldest and perhaps most mature of the brothers, said, let's not shed his blood. Let's just throw him into the pit. He wanted to save Joseph, but he didn't have the bottle to do the right thing. He also wanted to keep his brothers happy. So they stripped him, threw him in the cistern, and the Lord allowed this to happen. It was part of the humbling process that this young man had to go through to get to the place where he could be used mightily by God. And really in this little message tonight on this Sunday evening in Cardiff, I want to share with you three irrefutable laws of the universe. Three things that could completely change your life if you let them sink in and you live in the light of them. The first irrefutable law of the universe from Genesis 37 is that the humble will be brought low. The, the proud will be brought low, sorry. The, write that down, write it down, this first irrefutable law of the universe. The proud will be brought low, but the humble will be exalted. See, the Bible says God opposes the proud, but gives favour to the humble. I mean, you know what I want to live? Do you want to live opposed by the living God so everything's hard work? He has to hem you in and has to humble you so you can even be used by him in any way that makes sense? Or do you want to be the humble that's favoured by God? Joseph was kind of such a bigot, I think, and, and such an entitlement culture boy that he had to be hemmed in, he had to be brought low. He had to be humbled. And this was the start of the many-year humbling process. I wonder if anybody feels a bit like Joseph tonight, stuck in his pit. 
you feel something in your world makes you feel stuck? Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe there's something that makes you feel a bit horribly stuck. Honestly, there's no place, no better place in the world to be than where you are tonight. To get unstuck. Because <laughs> Jesus is here. And he can, he can reach you even in the pit. He can hear you cry, especially if you're not a Christian tonight. If you've come here and you're like, oh, my life feels out of sync. I feel a little bit lost. I don't feel quite like things are going the way they're meant to be. I've got lots of things, but I'm not truly happy. And I certainly don't know where I'm going to go when I die. I don't know what the future looks like. Well, you're in a brilliant place because tonight you can become a Christian. Oh, I mean, we are one of millions of gatherings that's happening all over the world today. And in those gatherings, more people are going to come to know Jesus than at any other time in world history. More people are going to come to know Jesus to this Sunday than at any other Sunday since he rose from the dead. Can you go woohoo about that? That's amazing. Wouldn't it be great if, if some of them were here, if you came in and you're not a Christian and you feel a little bit stuck and Jesus comes in and he forgives your sins, he restores you and he gets you on a good path and you know where you're going to be in a hundred years time because you're going to be with me in heaven. And you've got a power to live like it till you get there. And before I go back to Manchester and I'm driving back to Manchester tonight, I'm looking forward to that. Lord, we just pray for liberty and freedom and breakthrough on the M6 and M5 tonight. But uh, before I leave and go all the way back to Manchester, I don't want to do that without giving you the opportunity, if you don't know Jesus, just to give your life to Christ and get hold of that Bible and start to live by it. Give your life to Christ. I'm sure Joseph cried out to God in his pit. And in some ways, God did rescue him, but still the work of humbling and preparation was not complete because some traders passed by and another one of his brothers, Judas, who, who didn't want to kill him, said, what, verse 26, what profit is for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Let's sell him to these Ishmaelites. Truth is, Reuben and Judas both wanted to save their brothers but loved the acceptance of others more. How many times do we live in that way? Well, we want to do the right thing. We want to speak out, live large, but we give in to the acceptance of others. So they bottled out from doing the right thing. And to make it worse, they bought into this wicked lie to tell their father that young Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. And they, they got his coat and they smeared the blood of a goat on it and took it to Joseph and basically broke his heart. They nearly killed the old boy. And the next 15 or 20 years of his existence was defined by, I've lost my precious son. Dirty business, isn't it? Horrible business. And with it comes the second irrefutable law of the universe. And it's this. The universe cannot sustain a lie. A lie, especially a lie this big, is going to come out sooner or later. If you're a liar, you'll be found out, basically. Sooner or later, this kind of lie, you think you've covered it up, you think you've got away with it, sooner or later, it's going to come out. And some people live in the world of like half-truths and little lies, and sooner or later, you're going to be found out it is not worth it. The way of the gospel is truth, even when it hurts. 
Laying is a horrible way to live because the Bible says, Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips. Even some Christians I know fly far too close to the wind in this area and it just doesn't work. God's calling us to be truthful people who don't go in the way of lies. It's weird, isn't it, that Joseph's dreams, basically, were all up, up, up dreams, weren't they? You're going to be promoted. You're going to be exalted. These guys are going to bow down to you. But actually, his experience was down, down, down. He had to be brought low so he could be lifted up. And he's there in a pretty deep, dark place, one of the first ever victims of human trafficking. Sold into slavery. Off he goes with the Ishmaelites into Egypt. But even in this deep, dark place of down, down, down into slavery, God's favour couldn't leave him. God's hand was on the boy's life. So he gets to Egypt and he's bought, and God orchestrated all this to happen. He's bought by this man, Potiphar. Potiphar is a, a chief official in the court of Pharaoh. And because God's hand was on Joseph's life and he, he had leadership all over him, he was like this amazing young leader. He got one promotion after another and he, he ends up meeting royalty and nobility and God had that all planned as well. I mean, how much was that going to prepare him for his future as the leader in the nation, the rescue of the nation, this job in Potiphar's house and so many of the things where you right now feel boxed in. You feel like you've got this dream on your life. Some people in this church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God's spoken to you. You've got the words, you've got the dream, but right now you feel boxed in. What's this all about? What's this job or what's this course or, or what's this small little life when I feel God's called me to something so much bigger? It's all part of the refining process. He who's faithful with small things will be given more. And God's calling you to that kind of life. I remember, you know, Joseph, I'm not, I'm not suggesting I'm any Joseph, but I'm just, exp just explaining this to you. When I became a Christian, like really came through for Christ age 17, I wanted to do nothing but full-time Christian work. And I went looking around all kinds of mission agencies and work in the church. And I applied for all this stuff and I visited all these courses and nobody seemed to want to have me. What a surprise. I was such a clown at school. I only had one O-level in woodwork. But, uh, but nobody seemed to want me. And so I went into business. I went into business with my brother. Joseph had to live in Potiphar's house for 13 years being prepared. I, I was in business for 13 years from the age of 19 then to the age of 20, uh, 32. And all I wanted to do all that time was full-time Christian work. I just longed to be an evangelist and a preacher and build a ministry and reach especially young people and the poor and the broken for Christ. That was what God put on my heart. But I'm selling stupid belts and braces and leather ties with piano keys on. <laughs> you know, all these tacky fashion accessories to, to all these daft stores in London. And that's what I'm doing in my life. But my heart, my passion. But I know now as I look back, how much God prepared me through those years you know, ducking and diving and dealing with finances and sales and marketing and, uh, and annoying line management and personnel and all this stuff that God prepared me over those 13 years. A pre preparation, I never could have got a Bible college. God knows what he's doing. And you just keep your eye on him and keep being faithful. And at the right time, he will open the right doors. Little, however, did Joseph know that the greatest test of all was about to come. 
And in the Bible, in Genesis 39, as the plot thickens and Joseph's now ruling over all of Potiphar's house, uh, the guy with leadership all over him, and there's this moment when he could have blown it all as Potiphar's horny wife comes alongside him. The Bible says he was a fine-looking young man. He's got loads of leadership, and she's full of lust. I don't know whether, whether her husband's away, what's going on anywhere. The house is empty. There's just Potiphar and this lady. And I mean, who's even going to know? Come to bed with me, she says. And she keeps on, come to bed. Presumably she's got some like slightly sexy gear on and, you know, put a false eyelashes on and had a spray tan and everything, you know, to, to kind of try and woo him in. And she's all over this young man. And surely, you know, nobody's going to know. And there's this beautiful moment in, in Genesis 39 where it says this, where Joseph says this, my master withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could you do this great evil and sin against God? How could we do this great evil and sin against God? You see, Joseph knew by jumping into bed with Potiphar's wife, he wasn't sinning against Potiphar, he was sinning against God. There needs to be a little bit more holy fear, I think, around sexual sin in the church. So here's my third and final irrefutable law of the universe. Sexual sin is never worth it. Honestly, it is never worth it. It may feel like it at the time. You know, Satan will get his, his, if you like, his telescope and he'll make sexual sin look very small. It's only a small thing. And then as soon as you've done it, he'll turn the telescope round and he'll make it look very large. He'll make it look big and he'll do everything he can to maximise the carnage. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality, which is exactly what Joseph did. He did the only thing to do when you're in that moment and the temptation's strong and some of you in this church know exactly what I'm talking about. The only thing to do is leg it. Run a mile because it's not worth it. And honestly, I've seen some of my dear friends lose everything. And it's like, for what? They've lost the ministries. They've lost the marriages. They've lost the reputation. They've lost everything. They've, they've lost like, I mean, they've lost everything. They've lost their kids just for a, because they didn't take the Joseph route. And honestly, if you are being tempted in this area, run a mile, get some count accountability, get somebody you trust to share it with and will hold you accountable because you'll never regret doing the right thing. You know, for Joseph, it wasn't like bingo. He ran away from Potiphar's wife and her sexual advances and it all went well. He ended up in prison. But in eternity and in the years to come, he never regretted that for a moment because he did the right thing before God. And the eyes of the Lord are ranging the earth looking for a rescuer, looking for a saviour for the nation at this time. I, want to, I believe this was actually a key moment in his life as he legged it from this woman. And so even in prison, the final bit of humbling, the final bit of pruning, the final bit of hemming into God's will, you couldn't remove God's favour from this young man. So even in prison, he ends up ruling over everything because God's hands on his life. And at the right moment, the dream becomes a reality. 
He's lifted up, he's exalted, he's prepared, he's, he's been through the pruning process, he's been prepared and he's able to be this incredible rescuer in God's name. Do you want to get to that place? Do you want to get to that place? Do you want to get to that place? Well, let me tell you, if you do, pursue a high bar of humility and truth and purity. God's calling a generation, a generation where so many leaders are proud to walk in humility, to prefer others, to serve the Lord behind the scenes and whatever that looks like. A generation where lying is so easy. It's so easy to say the easiest thing to make yourself look good. He's calling for a generation that live in truth, where your word is your bond and people can trust you. They can look in your eyes and know you're going to tell the truth. And in a dirty world that's getting dirtier, to walk in purity. I'm telling you, that kind of generation will change a nation. That kind of generation will rescue a nation because they'll get the attention of the Lord and through it all, they'll be used mightily by Him. Do you want to know that? Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. Do something with us. Here we are. And I know I sound a bit like an old fellow when I talk to you millennials, but come on! You're an amazing generation. You're an incredible generation. You've got more resource, more opportunities, more missional opportunities than any generation in all of world history. You've got it. You've got the Bible in about 27 million different versions. You can listen to the finest preachers just by put, in the world just by putting a, a pair of headphones in. You can, you can travel like nobody in history's travelled to all sorts of places to share Jesus. You can pour your life out. You can lose all, you can use all the entitlement for the entitlement of others. And it's not just for millennials, millennials, it's all of us, of course, who are meant to live this life. But I know this church was going to be full of guys like you, amazing people with all the potential in the world who could say, I've got 60, 70 years left on this planet. I'm going to milk every one of them for the glory of Jesus. And the Lord will make you rescue us. Amen. Two things I want to do just before I sit down. First thing is, I want to, as I said, I don't know who's here, but I really don't want to go back to, to Manchester without giving you the opportunity, if you don't know Jesus, to know Jesus. If you, don't, if you aren't sure that you're going to heaven when you die, you can be sure. Honestly, because Jesus makes a way. He died on the cross to make a way. He took all the punishment for all your sins he did what was necessary and he rose from the dead. Isn't it amazing that that one guy who hung on the cross dying a criminal's death said, I'm going to build a church and the gates of hell can't stop me building that church. Hell itself can't stop me. And here we are, 2,000 years later, worshipping him. And on every nation on earth, there are people gathering like this today to worship him. Don't you think that's pretty amazing? Jesus keeps his promises. And when he said, I've prepared a place for you, he meant it. And when he said, when he says in the Bible, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You won't be doing this on your own. You'll have a power. How the heck can I live in truth and humility and purity? I can't, but I, I'm not on my own. I have the power of the Spirit within to help me live this kind of life. And you can know that. You don't know it tonight. You must know it. And you don't need to know everything, but you have to be willing to surrender your life to Jesus and turn away from what's wrong and make him Lord.
If you want to do that, I'd love to just pray for you right now.